0: Amen. Can somebody say thank the Lord for that? Yeah. You know, they have a line in there where it says, I've been down on my luck for a long time. How many wouldn't have any luck if it wasn't for bad luck? <laughs> right? Did I come to the right place tonight? Yes. When, I, when I look at, at that thing and that whole desert analogy, I know that being an American, I ought to know better than to complain about life and the things that we we have in life. But would you agree that knowing you shouldn't complain doesn't make the complaining go away? How many of you have had somebody say, hey brother, hey sister, you know what? It's not as bad as it could be. Does that make you feel better? Knowing it's not as bad as it could be makes it what? It makes you feel worse, doesn't it? Being in Arizona, this is the first for me, this summer was the first time that I've been in Arizona over the summer, right? 115, 120, I actually had people tell me, hey, it's only gonna be 110 today. (laughs) You know, in Chicago, if somebody said, it's gonna be 110, we were heading for the basement in our house because the air goes down there, right? You heating and cooling people know that. Life for all of the blessings that we have in this country, for all of the good things that God has blessed us with. Sometimes the things that we deal with in life can seem eerily close to a trek through the desert, can't they? And when you're out in the desert, with the sun beating down and the hot sand below you and and no wind at all because of the mountains 115 would be like an oasis wouldn't it tonight with the lord's blessing i would like to talk about facing our giants we're starting a new series tonight and i'm i'm very excited about it excited to hear what Pastor John is going to share with us next week. Brother, you haven't even told me, so you gave us a big setup there, right? He gave us a big setup. Tonight, we are going to talk about the giant of doubt. How many went to Sunday school? Did anybody do... Sunday school, right? You remember, the, you remember the, the wonderful people, the brother Bobs and the sister Marys that like taught Sunday school since they were like 10 and, and now they're like 74, right? And they've been teaching Sunday school for all those years and they, they faithfully talked to you about the walls of Jericho coming down. They, they faithfully told you about Jonah and the whale and they told you about David and his, and his beating the giant. Well, I've always had a bit of a hard time relating to some of those because I never knew what it was like, Don, to to be in the belly of a whale. I never knew what it was like to be facing somebody twice my size with only five rocks in my hand. But even though we don't have giants like those in our lives, some of the things that we deal with, like this issue of doubt, can be just as daunting if not more so i'll tell you the thing that 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 really gets to me about about this struggle of doubt is that it can be debilitating can it i mean you you're you're stuck between this way and that way not knowing which way to go or what to believe or what to do and i would like to think that being a believer in jesus and being a follower of the lord would alleviate us of this thing that we call doubt does it you can say it here we're all, we're all family we're not going to we're not going to tell anybody on you is, it, is anybody had to deal with doubt Anybody dealing with doubt or struggling with doubt tonight? You know, this is like one of those taboo subjects, Pastor John, in, in church, right? There are, there are some subjects we can really dig into, but then there are some, man, that we gotta really be careful and kinda walk really tiptoe-ish because, boy, there are some, some sacred cows that get built around some of these issues, and we don't wanna go t- cow tipping tonight, Tim, do we? <laughs> No, no cow tipping. I'm going to leave that to the lead pastor next week. <laughs> doubt, doubt, doubt. You know, there's this age-old problem. I'm a bit of a a bit of a philosophy nerd. I love philosophy. I love to study philosophy and and all of the various um, fallacies that you can make when making an argument and what makes a good argument and a bad argument and, and how to present a, a position or a case. There is something, a question, that has just plagued philosophers for millennia, going all the way back to Socrates. And the only reason I, I say that is because this issue has, has baffled people a lot smarter than me over the years. And it's the issue Called the problem of evil. Has anybody ever heard the term the problem of evil? If you've not officially heard the term, you've heard it or felt it in here. It's just a fancy name for the idea that how can a God who is all good and all powerful allow the suffering? that God allows. You ever ask yourself, wait a minute, I've been in church a long time. I've heard a lot of good teachers and a lot of good preachers. I've heard all of them tell me about how good God is, how great God is, how powerful God is, and if we'll just turn it all over to God, if we'll just have faith in God, if we'll just trust God's word, it's all gonna be better. And then what happens? it doesn't get all better, does it? Doubt. It grips us. It keeps us from fulfilling the things that God wants us ultimately to do and to fulfill, and it keeps us from the freedom and the victory that God wants us to experience in Christ. But we have to deal with it realistically and not just pretend that we're going to say a little prayer and God's going to magically come and make it all go away. Because sometimes it doesn't go away. Sometimes the struggle, the weight, the suffering can get worse. Jesus didn't promise us a life free from suffering. Did you know that? And when we, in our zeal and in our excitement to witness to the people around them and they're telling you about the various problems and the struggles and the the things that we're going through we can we can with all good intention and all good motive we can say hey come to Jesus this is a great opportunity now for you to turn your life over to God and for you to turn your heart over to God and any time is a good opportunity for that but passively, we can almost be promising them that Jesus is going to fix all their problems on the spot. And it doesn't happen. I am, I am one of these, um, oh, silent sufferers. And, and, and when I say silent sufferer, I don't mean the fact that my mouth is shut while I'm suffering. I'm very vocal when it comes to suffering and letting everybody know about it. What I mean by silent suffering is to to look at me, you would think, gosh, it looks okay to me. You don't look so bad to me. Man, that is the worst. Because everybody looks at you and they think, hey, if I only had her life, if I only had his family, or if I only had their family, if only I had this thing out of my life, it would be perfect. Well, it doesn't always happen that way, and it's actually a good thing it doesn't happen that way. And hopefully, we're going to be encouraged. when we. This kind of sounds heavy and kind of dark, but I hope we're going somewhere positive. That's going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to look at the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 8 through 12, excuse me while I take a a drink from my gathering cup here. This is actually Pastor John's gathering cup that that he has so uh, nicely loaned to me for tonight. Got it at Walmart. Walmart. (laughs) 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 through 12. This is um, one of the pastoral epistles. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And here's what he says. He says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, verse number 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am persuaded. Somebody look at somebody next to you and say, I am persuaded. Now look at the one you didn't want to say the first time and say, I am persuaded. (laughs) I am persuaded. What are we persuaded of? That he is able to guard what I have entrusted or committed to him until that day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we humbly, God, we quiet our hearts in your presence Lord, we give ourselves over to your instruction today. Lord, I pray that somehow, God, you would order words in heaven that you would speak life to your people, the church, tonight by the power of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. So Paul says to his student, Timothy, he says, don't be ashamed of my imprisonment. Don't be ashamed of my suffering. Now, why do you think that he said this? Why would this idea come into the mind of the apostle? Don't be ashamed of my suffering or of my imprisonment. Anybody have a, a, a thought? If you do, if you got one or two words, shout it out. If not, I'm gonna tell you what I think, okay? I think that he said, and, and I could be wrong, you're free to disagree or debate me, but I, I, I'm warning you, I'm really good at philosophy. <laughs> kidding, kidding. I think he said that because Correlating suffering with being in the will of God is a hard thing to do. I think he said, don't be ashamed of my suffering because being ashamed is the natural thing to do. It's the easy thing to do. Being ashamed of suffering. Church, I want to warn you that there is a whole school of Christian thought roaming around the, um, the bookstores and the airwaves and the, the television programs of Christianity that goes something like this. If you just believe right, God is going to take it all away. If you just think the right thing, you do the right thing, you give at the right time, you give the right amount, just believe the right stuff and you won't have to suffer. Not only will you not have to suffer, but you're gonna be rich, right? somebody wanna write a check out to me? You can sew, right? Believe the right stuff and suffering is all gone. Think the right way about God, and you don't ever have to be sick. It's baloney. It's baloney. It's not not biblically based at all. Because suffering came on the apostle Paul, as we see here. Suffering. Now, as Paul is warning his disciple Timothy, not to be ashamed of his suffering. Do you, think, do you think Timothy could have had some doubts about what was going on there? Do you think Timothy could have thought, geez, I don't know if this guy's leading me the right way. Look what's going on in his life. Do you think Paul might have been tempted to think, I don't know if I'm believing the right stuff. Look at what's going on in my life. Church, it is natural and normal for us to doubt whether God is with us or not based on what's going on in our lives. But whether or not we suffer does not always have a relationship to whether or not we're in the will of God. In fact, have you ever heard about this guy who did everything right He followed God to the the perfect ends of the law, yet they took him and they crucified him until he was dead. He believed all the right stuff. And suffering did not in any way, shape, or form have a bearing on whether or not he was right with God. Don't get me wrong, sometimes it can you know, I love pizza, Pastor John. I, I, I can look at you, and I can tell you don't like pizza. It's, he's been trying to get me into the gym for like five months now. And no, I'm, gonna, I'm getting there, man, I'm getting there. I wanna live just as long as you do so we can work together, right? But sometimes the things we do have a direct relationship to whether or not we're suffering, don't they? but not all the time. Come on, nobody nobody asks for certain illnesses. Fibromyalgia comes to my mind. I'm sure that in a group of this size there are fibromyalgia sufferers. Now, it's got to frustrate you. I don't particularly have that, that illness, but I know a couple of people who do. And I look at them and I sit over coffee with them and they look great. They're, they're telling me about how, how absolutely horrible they, they feel, how they wake up in the morning feeling like they've got the flu, and just to feel the sheets against the body keeps them up all night long. I, I don't know that kind of suffering, but to look at them, neither would you, because they look like everything is perfect. Church, I wanna get to the place in this group, let's just start with this group here. There's a few hundred people maybe here. Let's just start with us. And, and man, maybe we could just commit together to say that, you know what, Rick? I don't care how you look, how great you look, how great everything seems to be going in your life. I know life enough to know that it's not all unicorns and rainbows. Is anybody, is anybody have any teenagers here? Huh, unicorns and rainbows, mom and dad? Uh, yeah, I, I, I have, I have uh, three of my children here, and, and I'm blessed to say that they're all in their 20s, and one of them is in their 30s now. So those of you um, parents who are struggling with that particular line of suffering, it does get better, okay? Yeah, yeah, that that is somewhat. Yeah, you know what? You know what? My wife always says is that is that when the kids are little, the the problems are like that size issue. You know, and it's really, really inconvenient to get up with the bottles and the diapers. And as you're going to find out, my friend, and my and my daughter and my son-in-law here, they got a, just another couple of weeks, and we're going to have a a fourth grandbaby at at our house. So we're excited about that. <laughs> But you know what? As they grow, the problems grow, don't they? The issues grow. And when they get into their 20s, 25, 30, you never stop being mom and dad, do you? Never stop worrying about the kids and when the kids suffer, you suffer. It's part of life and doubt can grab even the best of us in any situation. And almost some of us are, are prone to that. We have those struggles in our lives, and, and man, sometimes we wonder if what I read in the Bible is true. He didn't say that. Did he just say that? Struggled about whether or not what he read in the Bible was true? I've been there. Can I, can I just confess? I've had some doubts that. And that's what I'm talking about with this group here tonight. Can we just admit to one another that we don't have it all going on? Can we just agree that even though we look great and, and things look like things are going very, very well, we don't have... Just assume it, okay? Church, I've been around enough people and been living long enough to know that nobody's got it all going on. In fact, if you go up to them and you assume that there are some struggles and some doubts and some difficulties in their life, you are gonna be right on the money. And you don't even have to be a prophet to know that. We'll just let down the religious mask and we'll be honest with one another. I wanna tell you one of the things I absolutely love about the leadership team in this church is, man, these guys are the real deal. These guys are not afraid. And ladies, we've got wonderful, wonderful, committed ladies. Sometimes, sometimes these ladies are outrunning the men, Pastor John. Yeah. Yeah. Lady girl power. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I, have, I have one of those in my house, my wife, and she's like, outrunning me in circles like every day of my life and you know after 33 years it's 33 years and a couple of weeks for us and man you just admit it after a while you're gonna win you can give me a head start if you want you can. you're gonna you're gonna beat me you're gonna run circles around me and outperform me and she's just admitted to him that this guy is very very flawed he's very very imperfect he's got lots of struggles going on but one thing he also has going on is he's ready to trust God at any point and say, Lord, I'm not trying to fool you. I'm not trying to fool you and put on a face around you, God. I'm ready to take off the mask, lay aside the facade and say, God, I've got doubts. God can handle that, church. Did you know he's not afraid for you to tell him about your doubts? He's not afraid to tell you, Lord, I'm reading this Right here in this Bible, the preacher says this is the word of God, but I'm not seeing how this is working here. And as we go along, I'm gonna say just a couple of things and then we're gonna say something. And hopefully, we're gonna pull that together and see that those doubts can actually work towards a healthy, wholesome, faith-filled experience with God doubts doubts they they come at us everywhere from every type of of situation and one thing i want to express right up front when i say things like that because Some people may rightly be saying, what's he talking about? The Bible says that the soul that doubts it shouldn't expect to see anything from God and the the man who doubts is like a a wave on the sea. He's driven here and there. I just want to let you know that I'm aware of those and hopefully where we're going, you're going to like it and you're going to see where it comes together. And this is part of that. In Philippians chapter three, again, that was Paul writing in Philippians 3, 3. He says, we serve by the Spirit of God, we boast in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying, I doubt the flesh. I doubt my ability to rightly discern God. Have you ever doubted your ability to know what God's doing or what he's up to? Man, I hope you have, because that's a great place to be. And when I talk about doubting, I'm not talking about whether or not we're doubting God. I don't don't know that there was, I don't know that I've ever really doubted God. The thing that I've doubted is, do I know what God is capable of? Have I rightly discerned God? Do I rightly know God in his fullness? Am I experiencing all that God wants me to experience? We don't doubt God, church, we doubt us. We doubt our ability to discern God and to rightly know God, to put no confidence in us is a biblical position to be in. And it's a good, healthy position to be in. And if you are doubting God, I wanna challenge you to transfer that doubt. Because God is God. And the Bible says that God is true, though every man be a liar. I don't, I don't, I know that in this room, There are people who have been walking with God a long time, a lot longer than I've been walking with the Lord. But I guarantee you, for those of you who are experienced in God, who know God, who have been walking with God, there are things about God that you do not know. There are things about God that you think you know that you do not know. There are things that we've been taught in church about God that we need to unlearn. Put no confidence, Paul said. I put no confidence in the flesh. There was this brother in church. I'm just going to call him Brother Bruce for just the in case some of my old friends happen to listen back to the, to the tape here and they don't put it together. I'm going to call this guy Brother Bruce. Brother Bruce, how many know of testimony nights on Sunday nights in church, right? You've been to a few testimony nights, the Pentecostal testimony nights. We used to have those back in, the, back in the day. And old brother Bruce was always great for a testimony. And he would give a testimony that was always a little bit of a twist, always a little bit of a different iteration of the same testimony. And it kind of went something like, like this. I've walked with the Lord for lo these 70 years, and I have never not one time doubted the word of God. Amen. And you know what the saints did and what the people in the church did? They said, amen, right along with Brother Bruce. Should have been thrown tomatoes. But they said, amen right along with Brother Bruce, because that's what we do, man. We don't want to disagree. We don't want to disagree with somebody who's been in the faith all that time. I mean, how could a statement like that be wrong? How could a statement like that, that seems so right, it seems so spiritual, be something that is, oh gosh, you know what? I'll tell you why, because there are people in there who are also trusting in the Word of God, and they have some doubts. And they're just as much a believer as you are. They're just as big of believers and committed to the Lord as Bruce is. You know what? I, I often wonder if maybe, maybe I don't get it. Because my story, it always seems filled with tension. Always seems filled with some kind of pull this way some kind of pull that way it's always a mashup of, of peaks and valleys it's always just a stew of oases and deserts but you know what has happened through it all church I've been drawn by his love I've been filled by his spirit and I've been sustained by his grace through every single time You guys haven't heard the story of when I came out here. I I know I'm probably going to be a little bit over, but we'll take just a little bit of time here if you don't mind, church. I was in a a pastorate, a full-time pastorate for 10 years, and I had all kinds of dreams and aspirations for serving the Lord and and being a man of God and and pastoring uh, the people of God in, in the church and... And over those 10 years, it got really, really heavy. I became very, very disillusioned. I got very disillusioned with God. I got very disillusioned with ministry and, and with pastoring. And as Pastor John will attest, by the time we came out here, I was I was done. I was done. I was done with ministry. I was done with pastoring. I was done with teaching and and with study. And church, when I say done, it it wasn't just a passing fad that we were running away to Arizona and I was like, you know, being, being Jonah. I was done. It was a calculated decision over several years. It was over. I wasn't going back. Why do I say that? I say that because there's people here tonight who feel that way. There's people here tonight who have been promised a lot of things and they've been let down. There's people here who have put faith in the church, faith in men of God and women of God, and they've been let down. And they're doubting God. They're doubting whether they heard God at all. They're doubting whether even they knew God at all. God, did I ever know you? Did I ever experience you, Lord? Well, here's what happened to me. I got a call uh, out, of the, out of the blue, out of nowhere. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm tooting John's horn when I say this, okay? Please know that. I'd like to think we don't have that kind of relationship, that it's friends first and real. He called me out of the blue. Um, I I later found out that my my daughter (laughs) told him, you need to call my dad (laughs) because my dad's in a bad place. He called me and I want to tell you, church, I gave old Pastor John what for. <laughs> remember, remember I told you about that philosophy thing? He'll probably tell you he wasn't kidding. He's, he's pretty good at making a good argument. Save the text. Yeah, yeah, right. I did save the text. <laughs> Ask me after, at, at dinner tonight. I'll read you the text. But here's my point. It isn't about Pastor John. It isn't about me. This is about a God who is committed to people. I want you to hear me now when they are not committed to him. This is about a God who is committed to people when they are done. Out of absolutely nowhere, God just took me, took me, and just renewed me like that. Now, I'm I'm certainly not, still not very spiritual. But, but, God renewed my excitement. He renewed my passion. And I'd like to think, I think my wife could answer better than me, because I always have the best possible view of myself. (laughs) I'd like to think she would tell you He's as passionate, if not more, than he's ever been. And that's not because I tried, church. That's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that's not because I tried to be passionate. It's because God was committed to me. But here's the good news. The same God that's committed to me He either is, or he could be committed to you. The same God that, like the prodigal son, just shook me and I came to myself in the hog pen and I said, what in the world am I doing here? And brought me back to the Father's house. That's the God that's here tonight, church. That's the God who sees your pain He feels your doubt, and he's committed to you, even though you've not been committed to him. I want to just read you a couple of quotes, if I can. Um, These are going to be a couple of quotes from some people that you've probably heard of over the years. I'm going to read some quotes from, I'm going to start with one from John Calvin. If you haven't heard of John Calvin, he's a foundational Reformation theologian that like half of the Christian world is, is committed to the systematic theology that Calvin penned. is a really big deal in, in Christendom. He lived you know, hundreds of years ago. But here's something, you'd never expect this from a guy like this. I mean, from a guy like me, yeah, okay, I get it. He's wandered. Calvin, here's what Calvin said. He said, surely, while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured we can't imagine that any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that's not assailed by some anxiety. Martin Luther, he said this. I just need a tissue. Does anybody have tissue or something? I, in, in church, man, with all the crying that I do, we're just going to like have to. Yeah, hey, look, you see. Can I tell you how long she's been carrying tissues for me? Longer. Her and, I, her and I have been together since seventh grade. And she has been carrying tissues that long. And she even carries them after I do that to them. That's true, That's true by the way. Martin Luther, he said this. He said, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. Martin Luther, great Reformation theologian. The guy who broke away from the Catholic Church and upon whose back the Protestant movement was built. For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and of hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and even blasphemy of God. He had to not be a believer, right? Right? He had to be, right? Maybe. I tend to think when God's committed, God's committed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 through 5, it says this, church. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech. I did not come with wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message, oh, this is the good part. And my message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom of God, or on the wisdom of men, but rather on the power of God. It took me a very long time to get here, but I'm going to give you the big idea right now as we wind down right wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a good gathering message without a good big idea. The big idea today is one that's very, very simple, church. Very, very simple, but yet it's profound when we know it. The big idea is this, that God is the water in the desert of our doubt. Can you say amen? Amen. God is the water in the desert of our doubt. And you know what? church, there's only one way to know that. I can tell you all about that. I can tell you about my desert. I can tell you about my doubts. I can tell you how he supplied water in my drought. And you can believe me, but there's only one way for you to really know that. Only one way to know that his grace is sufficient, church. Only one way to know, as Paul wrote That his power is perfect in weakness. And that is this. We must experience it for ourselves. You know, you can be in church and you can hear a lot of good teaching and a lot of right teaching. But that doesn't make us know the God of the teaching. In fact, it can be the exact opposite that we can sit in church week after week, year after year, piling knowledge upon knowledge and know God less and less. Oh, how? How is that possible? Trust me, it's possible. It's called this. It's called knowing God with the intellect but never having an experience with God. The kind of faith that we're talking about that, that, that walks through doubts and, and that the Lord says, hey, that's, that's my kid. That starts in here, church. That starts in here. And it's something that he initiates. And I want to ask you this as, as we close. It's very, very easy to sit in and, and, and hear messages and, and, and really get them. It's really hard to say, man, you know what? Maybe I don't know that God. Maybe I know all about him. Maybe I've heard a lot of great things about him. But I want to experience that God. I want to experience a God that's so committed to me that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect that when I'm falling apart, he's falling together. That when my life is coming apart at the hinges and I doubt whether or not I'm even existing, he's there all along and he's committed. He's committed. As we just bow our heads in the presence of the Lord, church, I want to I want to extend an invitation to all the doubters. Please, let's not look around now. We're doing business with God now. I want to extend an invitation to the doubters. I don't want you to think about it. If doubt has a strangle grip on your life, just throw up a hand. Yeah, too too many to, too many to count. Who else? Who else? I know there's there's more, and for those of you who have not raised a hand, God sees your heart. God doesn't need to see your hand. In your heart, raise a hand and say, God, I need to know you. I need to know you more than I know you now. Secondly, I want to extend an invitation to somebody who's heard about God maybe, or maybe you never have, and this is the first time you want to commit yourself to walking with that God whose grace, whose strength is sufficient for you. Throw up a hand if you would. Nobody's looking around. Throw up a hand. Yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes. I'd love to, um, I'd love to lead you in a prayer, but I'm not going to. Because when God starts something, he finishes at church and in your own way. I want you to just get before God at some point today and just pour your heart out to God. He understands the tears that you cry, church. You don't even have to say words. He understands the tears. Heavenly Father, we, um, we are so grateful that even though we are, that we're weak, oh God, and sometimes our faith isn't all that we'd want it to be, Lord, somehow deep within us, we just know that you are committed, that you know the cry of our heart, you know the things that are in our hearts, oh God. And I pray for this group here today, Lord. I pray that this wouldn't just be one service. It wouldn't just be one more thing that we've sat through and learned. But God, I pray that this would be a turning point. That those here, God, who are thirsty, those here who are walking through the parched, hot sands of the desert of life, that you would be the water that quenches that thirst. That oftentimes doubt creates, oh God. May we walk out of here tonight filled with faith, oh God, filled with the knowledge that you are committed more than we could ever want you to be committed, that you see the end from the beginning, that you feel the pain, you know the hurt, and you are committed still. God, we just worship you tonight let's stand together church and let's just be in the presence of the Lord as the worship team leads us now God bless you good people